This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mongoose. Mongoose is dedicated to being a bridge for higher education between schools and constituents. With a focus on conversational marketing software, Mongoose takes great pride in offering both the knowledge and the tools to help higher ed engage, motivate, and grow individuals and communities. They've got two exceptional products that help folks do just that. The first one is Cadence, higher education's premier texting platform. Mongoose Cadence allows staff to efficiently reach students in their preferred daily communication channel, which is texting. Whether sending a message to a single student or a large list, the platform facilitates timely, meaningful conversations that inspire action. Harmony. Mongoose Harmony is an intelligent chatbot that effortlessly guides visitors to the right content, captures lead information, and simultaneously updates any systems integrated with that chatbot, and routes visitors to the appropriate staff when a human is needed. Students and alumni visit a school's website because they want quick information. Conversational marketing through chatbots allows you to efficiently answer questions and keep constituents engaged at the peak of their interest in your institution. To learn more about Mongoose offerings, head on over to mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. And fun fact, you'll be able to engage with a chatbot on that page. Again, it's mongooseresearch.com forward slash enrollify. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Today, I am chatting with none other than Joe Lappin, who is the VP of Marketing and Brand Strategy at Circa Interactive. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, Zach. How you doing? Good, man. Good, man. It's been, uh, I, I guess we haven't really known each other that long, but I feel like I've known you for a while because I've known Circa for a while. And so it's, uh, and we had this like awesome chat while I was in Napa, I guess like last week. Um, and yeah. we were just going back and forth and it was just a fun sort of brainstorm and, you know, pre-interview here. So I feel like I know you better than I actually do, but, uh, it's, it's a privilege to be, uh, to be chatting with you today. Yeah, no, pleasure's all mine. I mean, you've been on quite the journey yourself, huh? Yeah, it's been, it's been a little wild. Um, but, uh, it's, it's exciting to, what, the best part about my job is what I tell my, my buddies is like, I get to just talk to people that are really smart and really cool and, uh, learn from them. So the best, uh, in, in my opinion, what's most fun about podcasting is it's sort of like free school, right? Like I get to go and, and talk to people like you who have done a lot of really interesting, neat things, have some cool stories to share and, and learn from you. So I'm, I'm pumped for our conversation today. And I'm hoping you could actually just kick us off by talking a little bit about who you are, what you do. And then a question I, I like to ask a lot of our, our guests that we have on the show is what's something that you've recently changed your mind about? So power packed question there, but uh, if you could just take us through who you are, what you do and something that you've recently changed your mind about. Yeah, and I love that question about change your mind. And, and I actually spent a lot of time thinking about it because there are a lot of things I've been changing my mind about. You know, I, hopefully that's something I continue to do in my whole life is reevaluate, you know, guess, you know, rethink things. Uh, but yeah, no, just a little bit about me is, uh, you know, I'm from Clinton, Massachusetts, and I work now at Circ Interactive. And, you know, we do enrollment marketing for, you know, universities like Tulane. Uh, university, uh, American University, 
uh, Northwestern University. Um, and we're very proud of the you know, clients we work with. But basically, my background is in storytelling. I used to be a journalist in Los Angeles where I wrote for the LA Weekly, the LA Times, uh, the Independent as, 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 a, as a freelancer, as a contributor for the LA Weekly. Um, and I also had a podcast myself where we interviewed great people like Art Spiegelman and mm. Roxane Gay and John Leguizamo. Um, and, you know, a lot of that storytelling journalism background was a huge part of who I am. I also have an MFA in creative writing and I publish fiction and I publish poetry. And, and, and that, that thinking has been the bedrock of sort of, I would say, like career one. That was like the beginning. I was like getting the storytelling. I still want to write novels. Like that's my goal is yeah. to write novels. Uh, but I took that skill set and applied it to my current role at Circuit Interactive because, you know, we met, uh, you know, I, Clayton Dean, the COO, and I, and Robert Lee, when we, you know, really got to know each other. Clayton is my uh, my brother-in-law, so that's how we've kind of. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah, we we were we were sitting in LA talking about you know the way Google is going in terms of quality and what they need from a link building and Facebook, and we kind of just through conversations realized there's a lot of opportunities. So. You know, we took that skill set and storytelling and applied it to our work at Circuit Interactive. And really, it's just really what my goal at the end of the day is when I work with universities. It's how can I tell their story in a way that achieves strategic impact on enrollment, brand recognition, uh, you know, across the board and, and improving marketing. So we'll go into what that means in a lot of ways, yeah. but storytelling in higher education, I would say, is what I do. That's branding. That's paid advertising. That's content marketing, SEO. I'm involved in. We have a great SEO team. But there's so many things that storytelling impacts, and those are the things I care about. Um, in regards to the uh, what I just changed my mind about, hmm. wow, there are so many things. Um, but the number one thing I, I would say is, and I can talk about it from a leadership perspective or whatever, but I'll talk about it mostly for higher ed. I think this idea of multi-attribution and having like a silver bullet for multi-attribution, I think is a, for higher education, yeah. I think is not a real thing. Hmm. I, I, I don't think that you're like, I don't think, you know, higher education institutions programmatically have the budget to spend this and tons of money on some of these services. It's astronomical to be able to like map you know, their journey from first touch point and be accurate about it. So I, I think that there are solutions that clearly exist, but I think where I've changed my mind is that there is gotta be a better way to do it hmm. at scale for, you know, smaller budget programs. And where my mind has changed is that instead of, you know, talking about attribution of your marketing spend or your SEO spend or whatever it is, I think it's more effective to talk about influence. Hmm. What is the influence in the funnel? What is the influence per channel? And that technology can really be an enabler. If we start thinking about technology and automation and using multiple sources of data and telling that story, almost like an investigation. I think hmm. the Sherlock Holmes approach to where is our leads coming from you know, it's not the most scalable and efficient solution, but it is a way to talk about influence on attribution that I think is realistic for universities yeah. rather than the silver bullet one approach shot. So that's 
I can go in a million ways, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah, that is super, super interesting. And it reminds me of a couple stories that just happened recently. Last week, actually, we my my team and I got together and we were we did this exercise and it was around what we just called like marketing challenges where we were looking at trying to prove sort of success. Like what was a initiative, a campaign that we worked on for a client where we achieved true marketing success? How did we define marketing success? It was everything was sort of up to debate. You basically had to like make your case for why your particular campaign was a success and explain, right, the thinking and the theory behind why it was successful and so it was this like really interesting uh exercise and then basically the rest of the team sort of grills you and they say like oh okay cool yeah you got you know uh your 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 cpa for this particular social media campaign went down but you know that i don't know if that's because the the audience profiling was great i think it was just because there was actually good copy for once and we never include good copy in our ads and so there's this fun sort of like back and forth uh conversation and argument around what was it that actually influenced uh, the contact to, you know, the, the CPA to, to go down? And it, it, at the end of the day, it, it's sort of like we've got all this cool data. We use, we use HubSpot for most of our clients. So we've got all this great data to access, but it only tells part of the story. Um, and, and there's still, yeah, it, there's, there's still so much up for debate in terms of like, yeah, how much credit do you give to that original source versus how much credit do the subsequent sources, the subsequent interactions, the, your email conflow, the, you know, cool event that you hosted, how much credit do they get as a part of, you know, the, the attribution, um, at, at the end of the day, because, and why that's so important is, as you all know, is that. That's how, you know, budgets are crafted, right? Like, it's like, oh, well, if you can prove that your particular piece of the enrollment marketing journey is the reason for an increase in enrollment, right? And you talk to the powers that be, you're going to get more money to do more of those things. Um, but, that, but that can also be sort of a, a blind spot for institutions who aren't able to look at, as you're saying, sort of the full picture and understand the full context. Um, and I think that there can be, there's just a lot of misinformation out there. So I, I love that, 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 that's a that's a good thing to to think about and a good thing that um, I think that you've you've changed your mind about. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Squiz. Squiz is a student experience platform that offers a full suite of solutions developed exclusively for higher education. Squiz has so many exceptional products that are worth checking out, but the two that I've been most impressed by are their custom site search product, Funnelback, and their website platform, which is a true DXP. And don't worry, I'll explain what that means in just a second. For the next wave of digital natives, search is not ancillary to navigation. Search is navigation. And Funnelback enables schools like yours to build custom smart site search. So that way your nursing program actually comes up when someone searches nursing instead of that one nursing faculty event registration page from like two years ago. And their DXP, it's so much more than a traditional website CMS. A CMS is meant for exactly what it claims to be, content management. It's an important part of your marketing tech stack and important part of the student life cycle. But that's just it. It's just a part. A DXP, a digital experience platform, is built to be the hub of your MarTech stack. It relies on powerful integrations, data management, and an open platform in order to create the kind of experiences simply not possible with a normal CMS. Say goodbye to the finicky plugins of WordPress and the crappy site architecture of Drupal that hurts your SEO and get ready to meet the fastest, most powerful, and most personalized website platform for colleges and universities on the market. 
Today, the student experience begins online, not at school. And as an enrollment marketer, your job is to ensure that prospective students find what they are looking for as quickly and as easily as possible. Squiz is the secret friction reducers that schools across the globe are using to not just attract the next generation of students, but nurture them to the point of enrollment in a way that is conducive and not counter to how they consume information and make purchasing decisions. You can learn more about Squiz at enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash Squiz. How do those conversations usually go for you, Zach, when you have those, like, are they, are they contentious or are they... Uh, in, in the best, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it's good fun, right? It's good poking yeah. of fun at, at each other and trying to, and trying to wrestle with things because, you know, the reality is that, uh, as, as marketing strategists, we can, we can tell whatever story we want to tell about like what the data is saying. Right. And like, and again, we do have tools and I do feel like tools like HubSpot and, and others like it can help dramatically with, uh, with attribution. But at the end of the day, again, it's, it, I think it's a little bit more of a strategic conversation around like, okay, well, great. This, this contact, their original source was a Facebook lead ad, let's say, right? And then that contact sat in your CRM for two years. And then they, you know, RSVP'd to an event one day, right? A, a recruitment event. Well, where do you put the credit? Like it paid, you know, paid social was the original source. So does that mean that you should go and double down on your Facebook lead ad campaign budget and just throw a ton of money at that? Because that's what got the contact or yeah. did you finally hire a good copywriter and your email marketing campaigns finally resonated with this contact? And that's what actually inspired him or her to sign up for the recruitment event. Like, and what percentage of score of value, right? Do you place in each of those touch points? So, I mean, again, it, it really, it's at the end of the day, it's sort of like who can make the better argument, um, you know, coupled with, coupled with a fair amount of data. Right. Um, but yeah, I, 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 we wrestle with this stuff all the time with our clients and it is, it's just really, really hard. Um, yeah. No, and I think that, you know, if there's people listening, you know, that are in a higher education institution and, you know, I, I would say is that that conversation, you know, it's very easy to hear this conversation of influence in a way that's about, and I, and I think there's a certain amount of credit, but like evaluating why you need to continue to pay us money. Yeah. And I think that if you're working with someone that you trust and is a true partner, that's not the lens. I think the lens that, you know, we kind of, we consistently want our clients to think about is how do all of the pieces work together? Hmm. And that's why we tell people to not invest in just one source. Don't put all your money in paid search, even though paid search, you're going to get a return on investment that's simple to quantify. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to impressions, and to me, Zach, what I'm most focused on is we know that people make decisions through behavioral economics, not on logic, on other forces, we, there's a, they, 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 the Kahneman University win Nobel Prizes for this yeah. or won Nobel Prizes. So I'm very much focused on, yes, paid search helps consciously buying decisions, but I'm really focused on how do we tell the story of the influence of marketing on the unconscious decisions? Mm. That's not always obvious. And that's something that I know you care about. And we can talk more about too. Yeah, I'm interested. Can you just unpack that a little bit for us? Like, what does that mean to you? What that means to me is that what we traditionally do when we communicate to our clients is we, well, number one, 
do we have the right data infrastructure yeah. from our client systems? And a lot of times what we do is we rely on last click data. Mm-hmm. And if you're relying on last click data, I mean, just think about, you know, to your audience, think about how you make a $40,000, $50,000, $70,000 decision. You don't click on a button that says apply and then give them your money. Yeah. Like how yeah. often does that happen? But if you're doing Google search, you know, your last click, it's probably going to be much more attributable than it is on other elements. But when you run Facebook advertising, sometimes those costs per enrollment on a last click look outrageous, like yeah. $13,000, $20,000. And it's very easy for universities to be like, wait a second, why am I investing that amount of money in Facebook? But then you, to me, it's like, well, you have to look at the way people make decisions. When you watch a TV ad, you know, for hundreds of years, or not, not hundreds of years, for 50 to 60 years on TV, or you saw a billboard for way before that, people were consistently making decisions based on, oh, I saw the ad, not maybe thinking about it, and then learning about the product the next time they see it. Yeah, yeah. So you're influencing that unconscious. In Facebook, if you tell a really amazing story that gets to them at their core, that sticks with you, and you later, uh, maybe three weeks down the road, you see that again, you're like, I want to learn about that. You type in the URL or you type in the brand name of that product. I look at one program. I won't mention the name of the program. Last year, uh, in 2020, we saw direct attribution conversions, uh, astronomical, uh, more than 30 to 40% of the total leads And that was bucketed under microsite or website or SEO. So when you look at SEO traffic and conversions, which are producing a ton of students, you're not really looking at the journey. Sure. You're not seeing that before that they saw this ad and we influenced their behavior over the course of a couple of weeks to ultimately realize they need to make that decision. So when I say the unconscious, we want to think about the way people make decisions that, you know, Kahneman and Traversky think about making decisions or anyone in consumer psychology. And that is not more valuable or less valuable than the direct response. It is a piece of the entire puzzle to telling a holistic, for a holistic marketing campaign. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about, about what you just laid out there is like, I think about my own, you know, user behavior and I think about, the amount of times like I'm scrolling on Facebook or Instagram and I see a product that's kind of interesting to me, I more often than not, I just don't have the time or don't want to make the time to kind of click through and view the product. But I take screenshots. I take screenshots of so many different oh, ads because I'm like, oh, interesting. Like I, I want to go do, I want to go. And I know if I click on this ad then I'm going to be fed shit tons of other ads and I just like, I, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, um, and like, I don't, I don't want, yeah, yeah. I don't want, I don't want them to, I don't want to let them know that like their content's working on me. So what I typically do is I take a screenshot. Um, and then if I remember, which is, you know, 50% of the time, probably I go back and then I type in I, via search, right. The, the, uh, the brand's name and that's, you know, yeah. branded search. And so a lot of, a lot of folks in sort of the branded search conversation would say, oh, well, like that's probably like a customer, right? Like in higher ed, like if you're typing in the name of if, of an institution more often than not, like, where we what we tell folks a lot is like hey that's 
probably an existing entity, right? Like that's a faculty member trying to find your admissions page or like I think about in, in college, I never started my journey on, you know, the homepage of my university site. I always went to Google and typed in the, you know, the school of business at, you know, school X here. And that's how I would go about finding the content that I needed, right? Whether that was signing up for a course, whether that was understanding sort of like how many more credits I needed to finish my degree, et cetera. I always started with Google. You think that's registering your screenshots to save later? I see the save later. I'm assuming they're literally saving it. I don't, that doesn't, I wonder, you think it registers screenshots? No, no, I don't. Oh, I, and if it does, if it does, that's awful. Um, and Would you put it past Facebook? No, they are no. so good. I think oh, it would have man. to be like Apple would have to, you know what? Yeah. I don't know if it's more of like a, like if they could do it by just hovering, like, you know, amount of time, like dwell time essentially, which is you know, one of the things that LinkedIn obviously uses to, you know, to, to, um, decide which content is like, you know, shareable and, and which content should be seen by more people is based off of how often, you know, how much time are people spending reading the actual post? Facebook, I'm yeah. sure, has has some ranking algorithm that that does a similar thing. But yeah, I, I take screenshots of of ads all the time, um, and or cool. offers because again, like there is, I don't know, and maybe it's also just because I think about this stuff a lot and I like cool new flashy gadgets. I don't know. Um, but in terms of in terms of colleges and universities, it's like my, my the big point I'm trying to make is that oftentimes to your to your point about like why attribution is so difficult is. If I am typing in the name of a college or university because I saw something on my Facebook or Instagram feed about them that looked particularly interesting, and even if I include the name of the program, oftentimes like we are assuming that that person right is already a stakeholder at the college or university. Whereas, like as you're saying, anyone that is going back and typing in a brand name later, right? That's still it's branded search, but it's still a prospective student. And yet, parsing that out of like who are the people that are, you know, searching with our brand names but aren't current constituents at our college and university, and or vice versa, that's incredibly hard to do. Yeah, and why would they fill out a conversion lead? And like, why would they become a conversion and fill out our RFI form if they were a professor? Like. So you can make, and then one thing we do too, Zach, is we look at view and click attribution in Facebook. We take all the CRM data, we plug it back into Facebook and it tells us yeah. who clicked this ad, who clicked this ad. And then we can marry, like, it's, it's an ongoing conversation for us. It's like, how do we tell that story? And to me, what marketing should be focused on for universities is what's the journey? Yeah. You know, like what? Not just the journey and the technology and the funnel, but the life journey. You know, that, to me, like we're not in higher education and, and I, you and I have, have riffed on this a little bit. I don't think that there's many people in higher education that are just in it for the bucks. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that maybe they, you know, there's, there's big money in higher ed. But I think that most of the people that I interact with, I would say 99% of the people that I interact with believe in higher education. They believe in the impact that a degree or credential will make on someone's life. And so to me, it's like, yes, if we marry the journey, the real life journey, the, the let's, let's be real here. We're only here on this earth for a limited amount of time. Yeah. You know, and like there's a beginning, a middle and end to our life. And we, we should be considering the very real human aspects of someone's journey and path and mirroring that to our enrollment funnel. Yeah. Cause we believe in the impact. We believe in that, but we also believe in the journey of the enrollment funnel. So to me, it's just about 
blending those minds, you know, and then using technology to support that, you know, at scale. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. All right, let's talk about video. You know you need it. You know it's all but expected at this point from Generation Z. But you've got little time. You've got next to no budget. And your Marcom department is already two months late on those new program brochures they promised you. So asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet this week's sponsor, GoodKind. GoodKind is a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention, and in a sea full of static HTML emails from other schools, a personalized video is how you stand out. It's how you make a difference. With GoodKind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey through email, texting, and even WhatsApp. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of GoodKind. Visit www.wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify to start your free trial. Show your face, show you care, see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. Unpack that for us. Like, how do we go about doing that? I know that, uh, you know, in our quick conversation a couple weeks ago, you talked a lot about Joseph Campbell's, you know, the hero's journey and how that sort of framework can be incredibly helpful for enrollment marketers who are thinking about how to do the various things that you've just outlined. So walk us through, like, if I'm a a listener and I'm like, yo, you know, Joe, I I hear you. I believe you. Like, yes, this is what I've been saying. I, uh, I've been trying to communicate to my, to the powers that be that we need to rethink how we think about marketing communications in general. We need to rethink, uh, you know, about how the kinds of messaging that are included in our post inquiry communication flows, our search campaigns, whatever it might be. And, and, and they, they buy in, but they're a little bit stuck in how do I actually go about executing this? Like, what, what does it look like to put this into action? How do you, how do you encourage people from a framework perspective to, to think about this um, and, and then actually go ahead and put it into action in their own context? Yeah, I mean, for me, I've been in higher education marketing now for, I think, eight years. And um, this is something over that eight years I've asked myself consistently is how do I communicate the value, the process, the impact, and teach people how to use this thing. And it's something I'm so passionate about. I keep asking my wife to let me name my kid Campbell because uh, <laughs> you know, my wife and I are pregnant. So I'm like, let's name, we're thinking about name, like let's name him Campbell, you know? Um, and she's like, don't put that pressure on uh, anybody. This is your whole life, your whole life work. But also this hero's journey piece. And, I, and I'll go into Joseph Campbell for the listeners who don't know. This isn't new. Like, I, this isn't me coming up and being like, marketing should use the hero's journey. This is something that, you know, people have been using from literally Star Wars. Joseph Campbell uh, was on the set of Star Wars with George Lucas. This is things Pixar uses. This is a framework that most New York City advertising use in some way or the other. So this isn't this isn't groundbreaking in the sense of the framework where I think that it's different is in the practice, which is the direct question you're asking. And so Campbell, of course, is a sociologist that studied all of these myths and realized that there's one sort of main myth, one main story across all of our cultures. 
and that is the hero's journey. And the hero's journey starts with a call to adventure. And so I think it's really important is that we start thinking about our students, number one, as they are at the center of their journey. It's not the university at the center of the journey. We're not marketing on a university basis, you know, if we really want to be different. A program that's 36 weeks, a program that, you know, we're, we, why are we putting that as so much of the focus instead of from a framework perspective, thinking about what are those students, who are those personas? What do they want in their life to accomplish? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, that that makes a ton of sense. And I like, so what do you think is going on there? Like why, like, again, I think most people, if you were to say that would say, yeah, dude, totally agree. Yep. A hundred percent. It's all about the student. But then, so talk to us about the friction. Like why, what goes from sort of like, I don't think it's an awareness problem necessarily. Like I think people, most people are probably aware. Like when we're having conversations with anyone, we're talking about their marketing messaging. We're talking about sort of the, the positioning of their programs, right? more often than not, it's not like we've told them something that is like revolutionary that they don't know. Like they are typically aware that, oh, wait, our UVPs look exactly like the UVPs of the college and university down the street. Or like, oh yeah, you know, our website copy sucks. It, it, it There's nothing that is distinctive about it, right? So most people are aware. What do you think is sort of like the next step? Like how do, how do people take that awareness and actually figure out how to go about, again, putting that into action? Yeah, for sure. So the next step here is like taking that framework and then making it very actionable by, okay, let's say that you're marketing an MSW program. Yep. Well, who are your heroes? Who are your personas? Well, we just ran Facebook advertising for an MSW program and the top two down funnel campaigns were, was an education program. That means teachers. And the other one was substance abuse. So what you do there is you think about who are those peoples and what they want to accomplish. Hmm. What is their call to adventure in life? So take that person who is in the substance abuse category and campaign. I imagine, and I start thinking, and I put myself in the shoes of the student. And I think, what was the call to adventure that started me on my journey? And, you know, my grandfather grew up in, you know, the depression with a dad who was an alcoholic. Uh, he was, an, was a, he had a, an alcohol problem. A very severe one where he went to the first couple uh, AA classes. Wow. And he grew up, you know, seeing his father being carried home, you know, like, and, and that like shocked him as a kid. And, you know, my grandfather didn't become an, a, a social worker, but I imagine I think of someone who grew up in an environment where they saw the impact of alcohol abuse on a community. And one day and they're in the future and they're older, there might be a call to adventure that, oh my God, I'm a teacher and I'm seeing that the actual impact and the challenge for my students is not the coursework, mm. but the outside benefit and the outside problems of the alcohol abuse in these communities. And I'm no longer making a difference. My call adventure is when I see an ad or when I see a program, but like get a social work degree to make an impact on your communities of people dealing with substance abuse. Mm. So for me, if you're looking at the call to adventure, and then the mentor comes in in this hero's journey. The mentor is the university. How does the university, the mentor, help show them a path to that larger level kind of, you know, impact that they're going to make on their community, on society, on their family? And then you build an advertising and marketing campaign to support that journey. The first thing you do is you think, okay, I need to look at that persona and I need to get in front of that persona who cares about these things. 
So when I go into a Facebook, I build an audience, not just by putting in interest in masters of social work in my audience thing. I go and I look at all of the interests relating to things that tell Facebook, this person cares about substance abuse issues. And then I figure out how to, in that same audience targeting, layer in behavior that shows that they want an MSW degree. And then I run and I test with different creative and I precisely talk to that person about the impact they can make. I get them to click. I send them to a landing page that tells them more about the program at that level. Then they go into a larger nurturing funnel where they're talking to the enrollment rep. The enrollment rep gets to learn their story. Oh, you had that issue with your grandfather. You're in a school system. Here's how this degree is going to help you accomplish that larger picture goal in your life. Because I think really at the end of the day, there's a major cognitive bias that hero's journey framework helps overcome. It's that this is my current self. I want to be someone different. I want to make an impact, but I have no idea how to make that happen. The hero's journey framework allows people to imagine that impact, to Mm. see how they get there and to develop a marketing enrollment and retention funnel to make that a dream come true in their own lives. So I'll pause there and Zach and say, like, where can I provide clarity? It's a lot to, to download, but there's from there, it's using technology once they come into the funnel to automate that story further. But it's really about telling a story yeah. that the user puts themselves in. It's almost like role-playing, you know, like get them to imagine themselves differently and tell a story from that first touch point all the way to graduation that helps them believe that they can do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think, I think as I'm listening to you, I, I get it right. It it makes a lot of sense. I don't think, again, I don't think that there's anyone that would disagree with you. I think what's challenging is sort of the intersection point, right? Like when you're thinking about launching a marketing campaign, let's just stick with Facebook for an example, like, right? Like how, how are we finding people at the inflection point, right? That we need them to be at so that they click through that campaign, fill out that RMI form and get in touch with a program coordinator. And I think like, as I'm, as I'm even thinking about sort of admissions teams and some of their, their challenges is like, you know, people are, are tired of asking, of answering the same sort of questions. Like, oh, this is what the program costs. This is what, you know, this is how long it takes to complete the program. Like a lot of admissions counselors I talk to are just, are tired. Why people want chatbots on all of their inquiry pages is they're tired of answering like the dumb questions that you can find on your website if people just look hard enough. But where I see uh, amazing, like incredible opportunity in sort of the, the mentorship component that you just outlined is if we could empower admissions folks and, and, and enrollment marketers with context around, the actual ad campaign that Zach came off of, like Zach came, Zach responded to this creative, right? And this creative was an emotional, it's emotionally driven. There's, it's talking about, it's it's really outcomes focused, it's future focused. And that's what actually got Zach to convert. And if we could empower, and you know, assuming we're running like a a, a number of campaigns uh, simultaneously, if we could empower folks with that context, I think that that is incredibly valuable because then when I get on the phone with this prospect as a program coordinator, I can say, Hey Zach, tell me, uh, not, you know, tell me about your grandfather, but like, Hey Zach. So like, you know, what is your story? Like, what, what are you interested in? And what, what, what is exciting to you about this opportunity? And you know, in the back of your mind that, okay, he came in off of this ad campaign where we said, if you want to make, you know, a, a real difference in the world, help us tackle the increasing challenge of substance abuse, Right 
that that data point remarkably helpful. I feel like more often than not, like college and universities aren't the the uh, distinction. I guess like the difference in creative is just so minimal that like it it makes it really hard to actually do that. So I guess my question for you is how from from an admissions officer standpoint or admissions admissions counselor standpoint like if i i'm in agreement with you right i believe you but how what might we be able to do from a framework standpoint or from a process standpoint to enable more of those personalized conversations to happen like how can we how can we set up a feedback loop um that is that is not just you know reliable but is also is also personalized and 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 sustainable. Like, what is it? What do you think that that looks like? Yeah, I mean, it's the dream scenario. What you're talking about is that throughout the entire funnel, you know, there's no more silos between marketing and enrollment retention. You know, even the, the the marketing of the faculty members. So there's so many things you have to do. You know, and it, it seems like a lot of effort, but you know, the number one thing you can do is just have conversations with your enrollment team. And when the leads come in, have clear attribution to the persona that you're targeting. Yeah. And then from there, like it, it, the easiest way I can explain this is that, you know, we're, we're marketing an MSL program, master's in law. And when we talk with this master's in law program, one of the things we, we realize right away, and this is from a top tier university, who wouldn't want this program? Yeah. Because yeah. It, it's, a, it's a law program that's not designed to be a lawyer, but it's to give you the law knowledge to achieve larger goals. And so we created multiple personas out of the gates from people in biotech, people in finance, like fintech, people you know who work in hospital settings, all of these different people that have different problems. And so what we do is when we go to markets, we create personas. Yep. That outline not just who they are, but their problem and their motivation, what they're trying to solve. When you talk and you get a lead and you see, oh, this is a biotech person for the MS law, you already know that, okay, I need to understand, are they trying to get a, a drug to market and they are need to better communicate to their lawyers internally in their you know, tech firm? Is this someone who's working in healthcare that wants to get an initiative that revolves around using, you know, personal information, but needs to understand the legal frameworks and have better discussions. So to me, it's just about number one, communicating across the entire funnel of people who are touching these students, who these people are, what they care about. But then as the conversations start having, you have a clear program and persona identifier. And then as you get more and more conversations, talk to the marketing team, Yeah, you know, go back, create that feedback loop. But what's even more important is that how can we use technology in between there so that even before they get to the enrollment team, are we missing something from marketing to enrollment that could make that conversation easier? Hmm. And we are 100% missing that. And we're experimenting with some technology um, to kind of fill that gap and facilitate that conversation right now. And, you know, as we kind of continue to evolve some of our partnerships, we hope to share some of that news. But there's clearly a way to get this feedback loop better and faster. Uh, but also, at the end of the day, storytelling reduces CPL, reduces cost per acquisition, because if you're using and communicating precisely to individuals, you're communicating to that inflection point by understanding is, is and we talk to our faculty members, right? 
Like, tell us about your alumni. Tell us about what was their change. We look anecdotally as well as the CRM data on previous performance, and we understand where they're at in their journey and create contact content across every touch point for that inflection point. It's, uh, it's hard to summarize in one, one conversation, which yeah. makes it a harder sell to university. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's gonna require it's gonna require work. Like it's gonna require time. Like creating content that just that takes a crap ton of time, right? And like it's so much easier to just you know spend ten thousand dollars on a Google search, a quick Google search campaign. Know roughly what you can expect in terms of new contact acquisition from that campaign based off of the number of metrics that are available to sort of benchmark yourself against. Like that's easy. What's hard is to create content that maps well to not just, you know, the entire student journey, but to each persona that exists within, you know, each, each persona's journey. Um, yeah, that's, that's just a in lot fact, of work. And Zach, this is though, it, it, it doesn't need to be a lot of work though, right? Like, I think that's the thing that it sounds like a lot of work, but we have scaled. Okay. You know? Tell and us how, like, how so, how so? Well, you know, or give us, give us an example, give us an example, because again, one of the things that I feel like schools, again, talk to us a lot about is like, they see all the content that Enrollify puts out. And when I have conversations with schools, it's like, yeah, you know, we get it. We, we understand, like, we need to be doing these things, but just, you know, it takes us, you know, six hours to write one, to get one faculty member to write one blog post. And then, oh. you know, it's like, you know, three weeks late and they're just not, not even, you know, uh, we don't, we don't have yeah. a bench. Right. So when it comes to like, the actual story, right? Beyond, beyond sort of the, you know, nice little bit of copy that we throw onto a beautiful, like creative or an advertising campaign, like the story that's coupled with that on the landing page or on the blog post or in the video, right? Like that just takes a lot of time to make, right? Does it not? I think that if you're doing it one off and you're not thinking about economies of scale, yeah. yes. But I think that like, really, this is the whole thing that, why I think universities are facing extinction yeah. is that they need to go this level and they're kind of banking on their reputations to carry them through a period of higher education that is clearly forcing people to evaluate the very value of a degree. Yeah. And we need to go there. So how do you go there? Well, it's just simple by looking at, well, how does the New York times pump out all that? Like no one's going like, well, the New York Times puts out so much content. No one's like, wait a second, how do they possibly do that? So they have a system and a structure and an architecture built within their teams to turn their work into an assembly line. How does Pixar do it? They built and think about an assembly line of product. What we have done is we've taken all of the lessons from the Pixars, from the New York Times, and we've built a sort of hybrid model of a journalism architecture to scale content from editors, writers, copy editors, to copywriters, brand managers, to people who are literally scaling story and seeing that this is their, this is their product yeah. that they need to achieve. It's like, if you could take our infrastructure and architecture, it would literally, the way our teams are built, the way that the process, the way that work goes from each flow to the other, it's an assembly line. Yeah. But it's an assembly line where every single person cares about their product and they know their institutions and are experts in their institutions. And yes, you know, organizationally, there's always questions. Do we have to, like, how do we make this more efficient to get better margins? But the way we answer that is 
we're getting a better margins because you're getting more students. Yeah, yeah. And as we scale this, we reduce costs of goods sold. We can by being more efficient, scaling the work, and using automation, artificial intelligence, and technology. Our video now, the way we do video, this could be a whole show, honestly. We don't need to go to campus anymore. We don't even need to be on the interview to do it. We can use, we can capture all of our video through Zoom and high-end technologies we own, and we can automate it through technologies we own to collect interviews from thousands of alumni. So it really takes of someone who understands, I think, how to build an assembly line of product for content and creative at scale, but also someone who's courageous enough to figure out how to use machine learning, artificial intelligence, to think more like a software company rather than a traditional agency. Yeah, and I think that like, you know, for the for the purposes of our of our listeners, like that is like that's the gold nugget, right? Is like what you're arguing is a fundamental shift in how colleges and universities are thinking about marketing and recruitment, right? Like in 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 the sense that what you're saying is like stakeholders that need to be involved in these things, it's so much greater than just the Marcom team. It's so much greater than just the enrollment management team, right? Like what you're outlining in order to get that flywheel sort of pumping and, and working well and sustainably and like in order to truly reduce the cost of goods sold there, think efficiency has to be has to be has to be there. But beyond before even you get to efficiency, right? You've got to get like the right players uh, on the field who really understand their roles. And really, at the end of the day, what I what I think you're saying is like everybody's a marketer, right? Like everyone at everyone within the university's context like has some role to play in the marketing and, commu- and communications, the recruitment of their programs. Like if you are in the business of higher education, you are in the business of of marketing that education in, in some way, shape or form. And I think like, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but when I think about like, one of the things we talk to clients about a lot is that brands like the Coca-Cola's and the T-Mobile's and the Capital One's of the world, like they have to do a lot of work to create stories to sell their products, right? Like higher education has a plethora of stories available. And really the, the challenge is like, how are you leveraging that story for the purposes of recruitment and and scalable sustainable recruitment and i think like that i would i would much rather tackle the no 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 there are real human stories here they are just kind of sitting there and they're they're waiting to be to be put into motion rather than having to invent a story because you're trying to sell a sugary carbonated drink right so like I don't know. How, like, I guess, I guess may, I, this is a little bit off of, on a tangent. I think you're how, how do you make sense of all this? Talk about it. Yeah, I, I think you're going to change the way I talk about. It. I think you just you described it so perfectly well because I, I think that I might accidentally be saying we need to invent reinvent the wheel, but we're, we're not. Yeah. What yeah. we're saying is, is that you already are a story. You already have journeys. You're fa- and I love what you just said. Is everyone is a marketer because I go to so many schools and I say, hey, do you use faculty in your marketing? Almost every single yeah. time they say, no. it's like, how is, <laughs> yeah. how is that real? What about testimonials, even from alumni? It's like, why are we not doing what we know works from a product standpoint? But you're right. It's real. It's authentic. There's so much value in that authenticity. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, everyone is a marketer. And you said something else that really resonated with me, which was, yeah, this isn't like, 
you know, inventing out of nowhere. This is journalism. Yeah, yeah. It's listening to who you are, higher education institutions, and then doing maybe a better job than you are right now of telling who you are to people. So they understand why they'd want to be a part of what you do. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I, again, I think the big, like, also the, the component that gets overlooked a lot is, is not just the, you know, the who you are and what you do, but why it matters, right? Like, I feel like one of the biggest problems with schools marketing is like school, generally speaking, programs in particular are really good at like describing, hey, this is, you know, what this program is, as you mentioned earlier, it's gonna, you're gonna be done with this in 36 weeks. Um, These are your outcomes, right? Like, you know, on, on average, alumni who graduate from this program, increase their salary by 10k a year or whatever it is right if it's a graduate program um like schools are pretty good at like message you know coming up with making sure that that's on sort of the lead gen landing page that they're doing what i feel like is often missing which i think is why as you're arguing the hero's journey is 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 such an important framework is the why this matters like what at the end of the day why does this actually matter um and i believe that more people most people right if it's the difference of making an additional, you know, 10K or 20K, they're not going to grad school in particular, again, to use a graduate example, just to make an additional 10 to 20K. Like what they're going to grad school for is to be able to work in a discipline, to work within a, a context where they can be, they can use their gifts and talents to, to better some aspect of society, right? Like if that's not there, the increase in 10 to 20K on average of salary post-graduation uh, peters out ever you know after a while like if, if that's the decision that you're making like that's a pretty bad I don't know from my perspective like the ROI isn't really there the ROI of, of financial success needs to be paired you know with you know uh, social and emotional and philosophical success and that you're actually doing something different that you believe is bettering the world and you're making more money you're bettering your own world while doing it, it, it it's very very much a both end and I think that that's the missing component is Schools just don't do a great job at communicating why their program is the program to be able to get you to where you actually want to be. And they don't know how to use social yeah. to do it either. Yeah. It, like it's not even just the why, it's the why and it's like how to actually do that in the platform at scale. And just to give like a 30 second overview, like I, I think you're 100% right. I think you're 100% right. And, and everything you said, it's just like the one thing I maybe would reframe to your audience is that, you know, we frame this as a complete rethinking. And hmm. I think that it's, it's not a, it's not, it doesn't have to be a complete revolution, Yeah. but it's like, what is working? We know, we know certain things are working. Let's build on top of it because, you know, if everybody knows paid search works, Guess what? Your costs are going to go up higher as demand goes down. Yeah. So you need to figure out how to create demand. You need to figure out how to keep your university from going extinct. And the only way to do that is to be distinct. Yeah. To do something different. You know, it's marketing one on one. I love I love how you said that too because I maybe and maybe we should do another episode and talk all about this, but I think that there's like a totally missed opportunity to talk about like owned channels and sort of like you know, investing in the channels that you do own as more and more like, right, Facebook, right, Google, uh, they, they can make an algorithm change w tonight, right? And it could totally screw up all of the things that you're trying to do, right? 
they, their incentives are sort of aligned with your incentives more or less, but still like, you know, the, the cost per click right on a, uh, on a search term, like, you know, MBA program, right. Is only going to go up, 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 up and up. So I think that one of the things that schools don't think about enough when it comes to marketing is sort of their, the channels that they own, their website, their blog, their thought leadership, content that actually lives on their domain, their email marketing strategies, right? Like that is, those channels, I feel like don't get the kind of investment that social channels and, and search channels do. And, and again, I understand, right, like why, but what I think is going to happen is for folks that aren't, it's very, again, it's also a both end. You have to invest in the channels that you own. You have to transform your website into a storytelling lead generation machine because that is the only thing at the end of the day that is going to be within your control. You can't control where your Facebook ad actually shows up and who it actually shows up to, right? You have general guidelines, a general sense, but I can't say that I want this particular ad to show up to Joe on this day at this time. I can't do that, right? It's just it's just not possible. So how, how do folks think about sort of like a doubling down in investment on their owned channels um, as well? And I think that that's, there are very few examples of schools that I think are doing this well. Uh, I agree with you. And, and there's a lot of good stuff happening on kind of the, the campus wide things for big name universities. There's good stuff there, but programmatically there's, it's just overwhelmingly not. Yeah. And, you know, just to add that one piece to what you're saying is like, why are your faculty members, not influencers? Exactly. Why are your alumni not influencers? <laughs> like, you have the best minds working in your schools. Like how do like we, we should invest in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to the day where there's like a marketer that a school hires where their full-time job is to go to faculty members, right? Find the find the all-stars and say, look, I'm going to take your research and I'm going to turn it into marketing copy and like marketing collateral. And you're going to be okay with it because it's going to get you new students. And like that is their only yeah. objective as a marketer. Like they're not responsible for anything else other than to translate, help translate and help, help work with faculty members to get inside their head and understand how to leverage that genius for the sake of recruitment. Like that needs to happen. And it's, it's shocking that more of that doesn't happen. Or that's like, you know, one of 20 things on a higher ed marketers, like to do list as a part of their, you know, job description that needs to be, that is easily a a, a full-time job. Yeah, we should do a whole episode on our work with digital PR and discovery with faculty because we do a version of that. We have people dedicated to that. That's something we should talk about in the future. There you go. Well, hey, uh, cool. Well, we are just about at time. And I think we successfully got through like one of the questions I asked you uh, at the <laughs> offset. But uh, this is- I love the conversation. Yeah, this, uh, is, a, this is a lot of fun. Um, and any any just last minute uh, last couple things you want folks to kind of walk away with today, Joe, and and then um, as you're thinking about that, if folks want to get in touch with you and, and learn more about the great work that you all do at Circa, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, um, I think the thing that I'd like people to leave with is that I think let's admit that we're going through a tough time in higher education, and instead of running from it and you know, relying on what has worked in the past, let's embrace it. Hmm. And let's be hopeful that, you know, not only are we going to come out of it more successful, but that we're going to make a bigger impact. And just 
it's not hard to rethink. It's not hard to do storytelling. It doesn't have to be so scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think if you want to reach out, just go to circuitedu.com. Um, you fill out a lead form, you'll probably get our COO right away, Clayton Dean. Um, you know, but you can always find me on Twitter at Joseph A. Lappin as uh, my handle, or just email me at joseph at circuitedu.com. I'm happy to chat with anybody. And we'll go ahead and link uh, you all's uh, your, your website in the show notes and throw in your Twitter handle there as well. Um, thanks so much, man, for coming on the show. This was a blast. I learned a ton as, as per usual, and we're going to have to have Thank you me. back on to talk about, you know, the 12 questions that we didn't get to. Whatever uh, you want, whatever you need. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, man. Take care. See you, Zach. Bye. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.